Welcome to the Business of Doing Science podcast brought to you by Bagamian Scientific Consulting. On this podcast, we discuss different aspects of pursuing science-related careers and just how science is actually done beyond the bench. So stay tuned to find out more. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Business of Doing Science. Today, we're going to talk about a really exciting career transition of Sazid Khan from academia to nonprofit research. I'm Karun Bagamian, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Lindsay Leitner, Heidi Bolduck, and a guest co-host, Amanda Britton. Lindsay, take it away. Awesome. Thank you very much. So welcome, Sazid. We're so happy to have you join us today to talk a little bit about your career transition. So yeah, we'll just kick it off. So first, we do want to ask a little bit about what you do and how you got to your role at RTI. Absolutely. First of all, thank you all for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm Dr. Sazid Khan. I'm a research public health analyst at a company called RTI International. It's a nonprofit research institute here in the Research Triangle area of North Carolina. I work in substance use prevention. The program is called Substance Use Prevention Evaluation and Research. I am a subject matter expert in substance use prevention work as well as a data analyst on some projects. I have the role of project liaison on some federally funded grants where we are the coordinating center where I liaison with other research projects across the country. We work on evaluations of substance use prevention programs for youth and adolescents in different states, amongst other items that I do. Prior to that, I was the state epidemiologist for the South Carolina Department of Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Services, which was the cabinet agency for substance use in the state of South Carolina. And I am an epidemiologist by trade, infectious diseases, spatial epi, and substance use prevention. Absolutely. That's so awesome. Yeah, because I know a little bit about your background. You and I, we did our master's together in different tracks. It's just been amazing to watch, you know, where you've landed after all of these years. And I know that, you know, prior to taking on the position at RTI, you were the state epidemiologist. And maybe do you want to comment a little bit on your educational history and what kind of led you to that? Absolutely. Yeah. So undergrad University of Florida, Masters, go Gators, also, go Gators. <laughs> you know, me and Lindsay were Gators by heart. That's where we first met, man, a decade ago. Ugh. I know, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> yeah, a decade ago. Got my master's as well in public health, epidemiology. I originally was pre-med, but I was not a fan of any any of those courses. I went through all of them, <laughs> was able to do them all, but just was not a fan. My advisor kind of recognized that and was like, I still like science. I love data. I love healthcare. So they were like, try the master's in public health. That might be more your lane. I did anthropology undergrad, loved it. Hmm. Same um, here. Yep. <laughs> loved it. Loved learning about humans and kind of their behaviors. Did the master's in public health. Loved epi, loved data, loved analysis, loved how we can use it to help kind of better the human condition at a larger scale. Looked at the job market, decided, hey, the positions I would like to be in someday required the PhD. So I decided that is the route I was going to take. I knew myself and that I would not be the first type of person who would go work and then come back to school. I knew if I left school, I would not be coming back. Hmm. So I did it all in one fell swoop. 
That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, yep. I, spent my, I always joke, I spent my 20s as a student. <laughs> <laughs> Still, you pursued what you wanted. And I found it really interesting that you said that you started as pre-med. I think a lot of people, I know for me, like growing up, you know about three jobs, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or something like that. <laughs> and I remember mm -hmm. telling my parents like, oh, I want to do ecology and evolution. And it's always interesting because now it's a lot more common and people know public health and these things. But I know earlier on, people were like, what is that field? So empathize with that. And a lot of our listeners might, you might think there's something you want to do, or there might be things you know about, but then you find something completely different and work that to your advantage, which is great. Absolutely. And I think kind of a running theme for my career has been being open-minded and just like what you can do. And there are so many different types of jobs and careers out there and so many ways you can go about getting to your career. If you're just open-minded, kind of really get creative with it. So, you know, I did a PhD in epidemiology. My background's in infectious diseases, not substance use. That's right. Yeah, um, that was interesting. That was my background too. What brought you to be more interested in substance use? Yeah, yeah. So I worked in HIV control, I, uh, HIV okay. research. I worked at Access to Care. So during my PhD, I switched advisors midway through. The first one did not work out so well. I switched to a new advisor. Incredible. Still friends with her today. You know, we're still super close and she was the best decision I ever made. Pushed back, pushed, yeah, pushed back my PhD a little bit, but half a semester I had to end up TAing and GAing and finding other funding opportunities. But it really was needed and so glad that I did because I would not have finished without her. Yeah, I have friends that had to do the same it can take a lot, especially when you're in it, you're worried about adding more years. But honestly, as it sounds like in your situation, it definitely did work out for the best. And actually, almost anyone that I know that had the guts to do that, it did benefit them to make those transitions. So I ended up switching advisors. You know, I was a teaching assistant. And I love teaching undergrads. But this opportunity came up where a colleague of mine was looking for a graduate assistant in the state government in the substance use division. I knew them personally. They said, hey, come work with me for a semester. It'll give you good experience. Going into my PhD, I never really had academia in mind. It was always government, nonprofit, private, and then academia gotcha. second, given yeah. I wasn't super into, you know, I can write, but I'm not a great writer. Period articles <laughs> is never really my jam. The publisher parish mentality was never my thing. So yeah. I went into state government thinking, all right, you know, this could be interesting. And I saw when I made the transition from being a TA and an RA to working for a state government as a GA, it was interesting that it was very direct. Like what you did, you know, I worked on something my first week there and it went to the state house for them to look at. Wow. So it was, so it was like right away, like the work you were doing was direct. It was impacting people right away. And it was, it was interesting. It was fascinating. And it wasn't like articles. It was like, you know, one pages, talking points, et cetera, things that are like that different groups of people were able to understand. So that's kind of how I'm in my transition. I was a graduate assistant. And then as I was nearing the end of my PhD, looking for jobs, and they said, hey, keep thinking of us, you know, if you want a full-time position, you got one here. And that's kind of how I ended up in that area. That's really great. It is often a thing that I hear people who 
are having academic careers and sometimes even enjoying certain aspects of that, but then feeling sometimes frustrated because they want to see the difference that their work is making immediately, which is not commonly the case in some of these other situations. I'm really glad that you went into that in your answer. So which of the skills that you acquired on your journey do you think was most useful in your current role? In terms of my current role, I think being in state government was super helpful in that I dealt with many different audiences from the public to legislators to law enforcement to healthcare providers to doctors, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I learned on the job health communication, how to communicate mm-hmm. hard data or uh, complex ideas to different groups of people and how to yeah. best get it to them, right? So that was the biggest one for sure. For sure. That's a very important skill and actually something that, you know, we've seen this, especially during the pandemic and other things like the importance of being able to communicate with different audiences and being able to engage them. So, yeah. And as we know, sometimes we're not taught that there's more of a focus on that these days, but it's very important skill. What does your typical workday look like? Like, what do you do in a day? A lot of meetings. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> being in a PhD position in my company, you kind of expect to take on more admin roles or leadership roles if you have a PhD. So a lot of meetings, mentorship, depends on the project for sure. <laughs> so that's interesting. You said that so since you have a PhD, they expect you to have more administrative and leadership yes. responsibilities. So Where did you learn that? Did you know that before you came to the job? Did you learn it along the way? Or did you learn more on still learning? Okay. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I know this is something that a lot of people that went to graduate school and then are put into management positions talk about how sometimes they weren't prepared for that. I had some training with the state government, but the business development at RTI is next level. So that has been the biggest thing I have learned. We have courses that you can take. We have a whole oh, that's great. training system you can take. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it is next level. Learning how to identify grants, learning contracts, learning how to make yourself marketable to clients, identifying how to write a grant, working with other folks to be a collaborative and capturing information before a grant potentially comes out or intelligence. It's definitely a very different world. So learning on the fly, they give you the time to learn, but it's learning on the job, learning while doing for sure. How do you feel about that? Do you like that aspect of it? It may not be for everybody, but you know, it's, it's definitely something that I'm getting, I'm learning more and more. I knew coming to a job, it would involve this. You learn it right away that, Hey, you know, if you're coming for this job, especially this level, you're going to need to lead proposals, lead projects, but you have mentors to help you along the way. They help you at the beginning. They walk you through it. You can take training courses during onboarding and, and throughout. So it's definitely a very supportive network. It's yeah. just, it is quite a bit, a lot to learn for sure. And yeah. always learning, always be learning. Yeah. yeah. Did you have experience with grant writing before you entered into this job? I did with the state government. But it was more so like from a, a epidemiology standpoint, it was like writing like disparity statements, writing the needs assessment, things like that. With this job, you learn about the budget, you learn how to like mm-hmm. do a budget, identify staffing, 
identifying what staff should be on the project, identifying where or not you're suitable for this grant. And then, you know, so there's more facets to it. Now here you yeah. also have editors and financial folks and things like that that you don't have to take care of, but you need to learn and understand what's going on for yeah. sure. So there's Sounds more like support. The, yeah, a lot of project yeah. management. How long do you work a day? Like how about your hours? Yeah. Days I'm working from home, usually nine to five. Days I'm in the office, 10 to six. So I read rush hour. Yeah. Or so so, no, so like, yeah, standard work hours. That's great. Smart. Yeah. yeah. Folks who have kids will work like seven to three a lot of the times. Oh, really? Their so it sounds very flexible, up. yeah. Yeah, as long yeah. as you make your meetings and make your deadlines and you let your managers know at a time, hey, this is going to be my schedule. Yeah. I'm typically good about it. What are some personality traits or other characteristics that would make somebody a good fit for what you're doing? Yeah. So I will say that even though I may not be super into an academic mindset, there are folks here who are peer review publishing, who are working on grants, who are working with universities. So even though that may not be what I'm doing, there are other folks here who do it. So really Honestly, we take all types, like all types of folks can excel at this type of a company and organization. Because I think a lot of nonprofit research institutes like RTI, we have folks who understand contract work. We also have folks who understand grant work, who understand the acad academia world, who understand the value of peer-reviewed articles, who understand the value of a, a good PowerPoint or data visualization gotcha. of key talking points. So really, it just depends on what you're looking to do. A lot of folks here, they're a methodology person. I like okay. to kind of spread around. So it really gotcha. depends. For my specific role, I think, like I mentioned, health communication, being able to take yeah. information and to break it down to a way that different groups of audiences can understand it has been key. I think I mentioned being an open-minded person, identifying mm -hmm. different ways to go about different strategies or how you go about something. Because this is a larger company and there's a lot of different roles. So a lot of different personality types and skill types can find a place for themselves. So kind of what you're talking about. I'll say being a hard worker is key. Is like you will work a lot of hours. You will definitely work and they will definitely work you hard. It'll be very rewarding work, but you'll be working those 40 hours. Yeah, you will be working. Um, yeah. But it'll be interesting work along the way. Do you think aspects of your graduate training helped you in some of these kind of situations? During my dissertation, my advisor and I created deadlines, like many deadlines to fill. And I think keeping that really made it work. If I want to get this done, I got to follow this timeline and this plan. I think that's been very helpful because in this current job, you have to hit your deadlines for when things are due to your clients. Whereas a grant is kind of up to you, right? You know, like when yeah. you get this paper out, when you're done with this, for contract work, it's when is it due to the client, right? That's and right. Yeah. satisfaction, getting their feedback and being comfortable with their feedback. With PhD, obviously, I know Lindsay can tell you, getting <laughs> feedback from your advisors and from other folks, you've got to be, you got to, you got to swallow the ego a little bit and mm -hmm. understand, all right, I came yeah. to them for feedback and I can't get angry <laughs> at them if they give it to me, right? Totally. Yeah. Is it similar in your role now or is it a completely different type of feedback that you get from clients compared to and academia? So it depends because the client themselves has their funders that they got to satisfy that they've got mm -hmm. their roles fulfilled, right? And then 
how are they going to present it? So there's a lot of pre-conversation before you get started to ensure mm-hmm. that you're understanding what is that they need and what they're mm-hmm. looking gotcha. for. So a lot of strategizing, it sounds like. It yeah. And a lot of preparation that you're aware of what you're expected to do and you work together. So collaboration and prep with your clients. A lot of communication, a lot of constant communication to understand. And that's also a learning process, like understanding, okay, you know, it's not necessarily what you want to do. You give them the ideas, but ultimately it is up to them to decide. Got it. And I assume you're probably working with a team of people. Majority of our listeners are going to be individuals with PhDs or about to get their PhD in grad school. They're used to having to, you know, they're a one-man ship. I'm assuming that that's not the case in your role on your projects. Like you're not having to do all of those things. Yeah, a big part of that is you are on a team. You have your role. So on some roles, I'm a subject matter expert. Some roles, I'm a data analyst. Some, I'm the associate project director just depends on the project and where you're slotted in, but you're always on a team, which is great because you get the support, but also means that you can't work in a silo. You always got to work together and understand how to collaborate and work with folks with different mindsets, and also how to utilize everyone's skills and what they can bring to the tables, particularly if you have a PhD and you're in that type of a leadership role, identifying, you know, oh, because a mentorship is a big part of this role in terms of like mentoring junior staff, folks who have bachelor's and master's degrees, to also help them in their career as well, right? So while you, of course, have to get the job done for your client or for the grant in terms of what you said you're going to do for the grant, you also have a role for mentorship and to help those you know, junior to you succeed, right? So it could be where, like, it could be a task that you could do much quicker, but it'd be worth it to teach them how to do it. It might take you longer to teach them than if you do it yourself, but it'll be worth in the end because mentorship is key and helping them grow is just as if not more important, right? To build a stronger team and to see them succeed, right? Because you want to see your colleagues succeed. So there's definitely that fostering of, you know, we want each other to succeed, to grow because the stronger your teammates are, the stronger you are, right? So that's a big part of it. I think that I've really enjoyed my current job is everyone likes to support each other. Are you able to give us an example of how your research has already had an impact? Sure. So annually, we do statewide evaluations for youth and adolescent substance use programs in the state of Georgia. And every year, we give them an evaluation report on how they can better the programs and better administer them. And we just finished a five-year contract with them. We just started a new five-year contract in their new program has taken account some of the evaluation recommendations we provided and they were able to utilize it in their programs and how they instructed their organizations who received their subgrants to conduct the yeah. implementations of the substance prevention programs that you're utilizing our recommendations and how they're better collecting their data getting local evaluators involved working with other sectors not just schools but other areas that youth and adolescents could potentially be in and using substances, getting other folks involved to really spread or spreading their networks. That's one example mm-hmm. um, wow. of how what, what we do works right away. Another one is we do substance use modeling for a state of New Jersey, where we provide predictive modeling based on substance use 
emotional level. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a bang for you, but like where if you invest more resources and funding into this specific field of prevention, so like media versus education, what is the estimate in terms of substance use, you know, usage amongst alcohol and marijuana amongst adolescents in the state or by county? So they're utilizing those models to identify, okay, this is what we should fund. This is what we should fund in our county. So it's used to their budgets and for things like that for immediate use. And each county kind of go in and mess with their own specific county specific model. But then say, all right, so in our county, if we want to be able to affect substance use amongst youth and adolescents as much as possible, or for like the most we can potentially, we should invest in this specific resource or this specific area prevention strategy compared to another one. So if you could go back to Zed back when he was in his master's program and talk to him then to say, you know, okay, this is where you're headed. <laughs> what should you learn right now? What should you be <laughs> holding on to right now and really appreciating right now? What would you tell that person or anybody that's in that particular situation where they're thinking, okay, well, what courses should I take? What should I focus on? Like, I don't know what's going to happen to me, you know? that sort of thing? First, I think a lot of folks, when they think about like epidemiology, public health, they have a very narrow mindset in terms of like what jobs are available, right? That there's only like these type of jobs, this specific role and category. And there are so many different types of jobs out there that utilize our skill sets. There are so many different types of jobs and so many different types of fields and so many different categories that that was, I think the first thing that I would, wish I would have known earlier was be creative just like you know there is endless possibilities of what you can do right with that skill set that you are learning so I think that that was a big one for me I really really found out while I was job hunting was like you know like data analyst or data advisor like this so there's like a different every company has like a different term for it um, yeah that was, so annoying yeah <laughs> it, it shows you that like you know there are so many different ways people are looking at what you're doing and may not necessarily be the specific box that you're fitting into, but you have lived experiences mm-hmm. and your academic skill set as well, that your, cl- your clinical training skill set, like yeah. it, go- it fulfills a lot of different areas. Yeah. So I think that's one. Another one is, I think I was mentioned lived experiences. So really, when I did my PhD, I tried all of it. I did graduate assistant work and a research assistant work. I worked for a professor in academia. I was a teaching assistant. Like I said, I worked for state government. So getting many different experiences and seeing for Mm. yourself what you like and what you don't like. You won't know until you try, right? You may think you may not like it, but until you try it and give it a fair shot, that's Mm -hmm. another thing, like give it a true fair shot. I think that was another thing that was very helpful to me identify because oh, I was an academic, I'm not sure about this, but I will give it a fair shot. I'll try it. Gave it a shot. Didn't end up liking it as much, you know, yeah. but I, I gave it a shot, right? So you have to give it a fair shot before you rule it out. And you never know. There could be traits of it that you like. Like, I enjoy teaching, so I might become an yeah. adjunct someday. Yeah, I enjoy nice. the teaching aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, You'd be great at that, yeah. Thank yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> so, so that, you know, so you never yeah. know, right? So I think that those are some things that I learned along the way what was your job hunting experience like and how did you kind of develop I don't know how long it was but you know how did you develop along the way through your job hunt 
Oh, I t- tough skin. <laughs> you gotta develop tough skin. Oh my goodness. Everyone, and they give the same advice. I mean, it's really true. You gotta just keep applying. For every hundred applications you put out there, you'll get one or two responses. I was getting nothing for a while, but I eventually understood how to f- fill out the applications like on USA Jobs and all of where, you know, it's the algorithm. Even with companies like yeah, places like that, it is understanding, you know, what they're looking for, because they're all looking through millions of applications. So your resume needs to be in line with their job description. Otherwise, they're not going to look at you because they need folks who are going to fulfill their job description. They tailor the job description to what they need, right? It took me a while to learn that because applying for jobs is a job in itself. It's a perseverance, tough skin. And also something that folks have said to me, like my mentors have said to me, when it came to jobs was, if you get an interview, take it. Even if you're thinking, okay, maybe I'm not going to actually take this job, take the interview, get the practice in. Because if anything else, you get the practice and you get FaceTime with them for down the road. When you do get an interview, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. It's a great point. Okay. Yeah. Am I a good fit for this job? Very good Uh-oh. advice. Great yes. advice. <laughs> <laughs> I know Lindsay did that on her job searches. I remember hearing about it too. It is very important to protect um, who you are, you know, even though yeah, you really want a key. job, you want to make sure that, and you know, sometimes things might evolve in a way you don't expect, but it's good to be careful about that upfront. Absolutely. And, and identifying what's important to you, what's key to you. So when I left state government, it was when and where I could work, you know, like, the flexibility where I can work if I need to switch from telework or in person mm-hmm. when in day I can work things like that I think a lot of folks during the pandemic kind of rethought what was important to them right so I think that's part of why folks shifted from one job to another why they look for situations that was most important to them so that was key in my job hunt was having mm-hmm. those non-negotiables in mind right because obviously there are things you can negotiate and work on and be possible you have to be flexible for sure no job is going to be a hundred percent for our listeners who want to be in a role like yours what are your top two to three tips that you would give them you know definitely have these prior to applying or interviewing I think the main one that helped me was it was my experiences beforehand so not necessarily just like my jobs, but like my volunteer opportunities, practicums, my lived experiences, because everyone will have the academics, everyone will have the coursework and things like that. But I think what really helped separate me out was my lived experiences, not just the paid roles I had before, but the volunteer opportunities I had, the practicums, the other roles I did that showed that I'm capable of doing the work in the field, that I have a knowledge base in the field, that I have different experiences working different types of people I think that was very key to me was like those lived experiences and those roles can um, I ask about the volunteers yeah, so the opportunities along the same lines of what you're working in or were they just in general you know what I mean I'm just curious so in undergrad it was all over the place I worked for agricultural lab I worked for a rehab lab and my lab made post-stroke and heart attack rehab those type yeah. of lab those type of clinics yeah. I also did volunteer work in 
infectious diseases where I was a volunteer researcher. I was an unpaid intern in Lindsay knows the name of the place, the Emerging Pathogens Institute. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. Tuberculosis Center, right? I was an an intern there. Then they hired me because of my dedication. And then from there, I did my master's practicum with them. And then I got a summer position with them after the first year of my PhD. During the summer, I returned home. But I started that as a volunteer. My hard work and dedication showing up, doing the work led me to getting more and more opportunities with them. And that really helped later on with recommendation letters and et cetera, but just like have those experiences. And I think that's really, really good point. Just trying different things. It's something that resonates with me. I definitely agree with that to really just see what's out there because you never know what's going to fit. And uh, having a breadth of experiences seems to really help that. Yeah. And to be honest, I also feel, I don't know if you felt this way as well, Sazid, that I've had interviews before where, like you said, volunteer opportunities or maybe something I was doing in a club in school came up and it ended up just being an amazing talking point for the interview. The interviewers were asking me like, oh, wow, you did that? How did you get involved in that? And that's such a cool experience. And then they started asking me questions that weren't even related to the job. It was more like, oh, tell us more about that time you volunteer to give kids the world. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. I think this this, this is just different entry points, right? For them to get into a conversation with you. Exactly. The more entry points you can give them, the better. Another Mm -hmm. one that I knew was being part of professional societies, has yeah. been super helpful, even for networking and just as a support system. And as another way of getting different types of training in, if you're an early career professional that they offer, right? So I'm in the American College of Epidemiology. They provide different types of early career trainings. They will integrate in the resume. It's a way of showing, hey, I have a support system, this network. I understand the current up and ups in this field. So things like that, I think having a well-rounded resume across the board is always very helpful. I was just going to ask, how did you investigate the culture of the organization? I feel like sometimes, you know, organizations that are so competitive may have, I don't want to say an unbalanced like culture within the organization, but they kind of justify the payment for how they're working or how the hierarchy works out. How did you vet if that's a place you really want to be like a balanced work environment you wanted to live in each day? Yeah. So LinkedIn, LinkedIn became a very, you know, important thing for me in terms of seeing if there's anybody you're networking with who's at that place of work. So I have a good friend who worked at RTI who was able to tell me about the culture, tell me about everything on the inside. And other organizations that I applied for, other governments I applied for, it was also, hey, do I know someone in the network or mm-hmm. someone who knows somebody to really just like identify what I could find out about them online, reviews, things like that, right? Also reviews and hit or miss, it could normally be a disgruntled employee, you know, saying, you know. So when you reached out to individuals on LinkedIn, I know you'd said that you reached out to people that you already knew. Have you ever reached out to people that you didn't potentially know just to say, hey, can I like borrow you for five minutes and just ask you about your role and the company prior to being or? So I hadn't, but I've had folks reach out to me since I've taken this position about in that same vein of like, hey. I see you were in the same network. You went to University of South Carolina. I went to University of South Carolina. I'm looking at this job at the company you're at. Can we talk? So I didn't have to, because the place I applied for, I pretty much knew 
least one person who was in a network of somebody, either from my conference or from something where I knew them. But I've had folks reach out to me in that way of, they may not have known me, but we're in similar networks, went to the same university. We had the same you know, background or something, and they would reach out to me about it. So cool. I've had it happen a couple of times, yeah. And so you've been open to just having a quick phone call and... I yeah, think that's really useful for people to know. Don't be afraid to go on LinkedIn yeah. and reach out to people because sometimes that might be the only way you really get to find out information. Right. The worst case scenario is they don't respond, which is you lose yeah. nothing by doing that. <laughs> I've never heard of somebody reaching out and getting a negative, you know, like if anything, it's most people often do respond or they don't yeah. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I have people reach out to me and I usually always respond because I always think it's important. You also were talking mm -hmm. about that. We were all talking about that, like giving back and trying to help other people get, you know, the information they need because sometimes it's not just readily available. You will find where you're supposed to be in, in the end. Yeah. Just got to keep trying. Yeah, I think that's great think advice. That's and, great advice, know, yeah. And I know something that's hard is not to take some of these things personally because sometimes things don't work out. And sometimes jobs have already identified who they're going to hire, but they're still interviewing or there's all these funny things that happen that we're not aware of being strong, being comfortable in your skin and, you know, learn from what you come across and know that everything is a learning experience. Yep. That's what I think you've been telling us. That's like one of your um, biggest messages and what you've been telling us during this interview. What do you want? to do that you haven't been able to do yet or you know what's kind of like your next steps along your five-year plan yeah sure so i think while i've been an associate project director or a couple of projects i think becoming the actual project director or like the, the main pi um, was definitely the next step the next goal and that's something that i'm like, training towards and like gaining more experience and i think that is the next step for sure to gain that project directorship and kind of just grow more and more as well as, you know, also strengthen my scientific stature in terms of going to conferences, networking, building that network out, building out that knowledge base in my field, reading up on the seminal literature that's out there and just getting stronger in the field. I think getting more educated day in, day out. It's important to strengthening my own mentorship abilities, right? As well as getting mentoring myself, right? Because you, you you can never stop. You never stop needing a mentor, right? I think that's that's something that like I've been told by some senior colleagues. They still get mentored by folks. No matter how long you've been in your position, you can always have a mentor. You always have somebody who you can turn to to learn from and to talk to. So I'd like to ask my fun question that I like to ask people, which is, so in the history, current living, alive, dead, three people that you would like to have a beer, a coffee, a beverage, whatever your choice, who would they be? Muhammad Ali would be one just because those oh, very cool. Be, yeah. That would be an incredible because he used the gift of gab, right? That was him. Yeah. So just, yeah. <laughs> so his story would be incredible. I think MLK would MLK Jr. would be another fascinating one. Martin was super fascinating. That is a good one. answer. I don't think we've yeah. had anyone say that, right? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Would be Obama. Like that that's always gonna be yeah. one of the best yeah. ones to get just to talk to just because I'd have to agree with that one. That would be pretty cool. Or Michelle. Yeah. You'd have to talk mm -hmm. to both of them. Yeah, Michelle yeah, and Brock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like them be, together yeah. would be like have a glass of and wine. Oh my god. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I mean those those are those are pretty solid threesome, I think.
Well, that's great. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I know that we covered a lot of topics that is definitely of interest to our listeners. And yeah, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us and listening to the Business of Doing Science podcast. For more information on our guests and access to career development resources, please click on the link to our website below. And remember, you can also visit the website to learn more about how Bagamian Sai can help you do science.